Welcome to the Employed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, pregnancy-focused chiropractor, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today is an accomplished author currently working on a collection of essays about home, birth, and parenting. In 2022, she launched the Postpartum Production Podcast, which explores the intersection of postpartum experiences and creative practices with a focus on redefining productivity in caregiving and art. We will discuss her three pregnancy and birth experiences and how they have influenced and inspired her life and her work. Caitlin Salamine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Uh, you're such an interesting person with such a rich background and so many birth experiences to talk about. <laughs> Let's jump right in. Where are you from originally? Oh, originally, originally. Hmm. I was born in Michigan, have never really been back there, but I grew up in New Hampshire and have lived in China, Singapore, Costa Rica, France, and Los Angeles. Oh, how'd I forget Los Angeles? Huh. <laughs> and now I live in San Francisco. Okay. Who has the best food? Oh, Singapore came to mind first. So I guess I have to say Singapore, okay, even though nice. China, I mean, you know, all right, we got to go with the gut, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting Singapore in our travel list. <laughs> like, why all that travel? What prompted all of that travel? Okay, well, China was primarily because I had started studying Chinese in high school and then lived there by way of a program called School Year Abroad, which is incredible. And any high school student in the U.S. can attend. And it's a program where you go and you live for a semester with a family and do a homestay you know, during your school year. So that kind of launched my time in Asia, I would say. And then I went back a bunch in college and after college and worked on a book and a whole bunch of different stuff. I mean, you just really liked it? Yeah. I think I've always really liked living outside my comfort zone, which may be why I lived in LA. <laughs> but, <I> think, <laughs> um, but yeah, so China was obviously, it was the mid 90s. So it was very, very different from anything I had experienced as a teenager in the US. You know, we barely had the internet or email or definitely didn't have smartphones. And so it was like really, really far away. It just felt like a totally different experience. And yet I felt really connected to the family I lived with. So I ended up feeling at home in a place that I didn't anticipate feeling at home. Yeah. And so I just kept going back. And I actually, I took my daughter, the last time I went was in 20. 18, I took my firstborn, who was my only child at that time. And I had just published my first book in 2017. And I had a few events through a festival there. So I took my daughter to Shanghai and Beijing in 2018. So that's the last time I've been. And then, you, you know, pandemic. Speak the language? I do. Yeah. Wow. You could speak and read? <laughs> yes. All yeah. of it. Yeah. Was it a yeah. hard language to learn? Um, weirdly, I think the written language is, I find it easier to speak maybe just because I started so long ago. I find it easier to speak and learn Chinese than I do romance languages because I hate conjugation and Chinese is really rational and the structure of a sentence is very easy to understand for me. Obviously the tones and the words themselves are completely different. Whereas in French or Italian or Spanish or something, you can kind of work Just your way around things. Add a, add a suffix. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but then the little letters to write them. Yes. 
characters. That's, yeah. Seems yeah. like you need to be an artist. Yeah. The cheat now on phones and the computer is that once you learn pinyin, which is the transliteration of it, like if you know what it looks like without having to actually write it out by hand, you write the pinyin and then it pulls it up for you. Oh, it's very like nice. Quick, yeah. Well, I'll be in Singapore anyway for the food, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So you're a writer. How did you get into writing? Probably by way of the same, what I was just talking about being in China, I felt like I had to write about the experience to process it myself. You know, you always hear about writers saying, oh, when I was a kid, I was always writing. And yeah, I was, I was always writing little poems or wanting to write all through high school. But I think it was through that experience that I felt like I had to process living in China, you know, through China's growth and adolescence as well. And the home stay that I had, the family that I had lived with, I had a really, really deep and meaningful relationship with. So it felt like I had to process that in some way. And your genre that you write is literary fiction. Yes. How yes, do you define right. literary fiction? Oh, oh thank you very um, much. Yes. <laughs> I hope you had your um, coffee. No, I haven't. I've had water with lemon and oh. honey. <laughs> so my voice is a little off today. Um, literary fiction, I'd say, is... Well, it's like all the books that, you know, you have to read in high school. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, all fiction is fiction, right? But it's literary fiction, I think, is trying to speak to other books that have been written in the world and doing so in a way that's thinking about so many different facets of writing. So that could be like structure and plot and being experimental or not, or being able to situate yourself in a historical moment. Mm. And so it's any book, I think, that really makes you think in a way that you didn't potentially think about a subject matter before. And is the subject of your first book China? Yes. Yeah, pretty much so. It's about an American woman who's lived in China, not me, but about <laughs> yeah. her. Yeah, because I get that question asked a lot. It is fictional. And it's about one family's kind of more modern history in China and her relationship with that family. And writing your first book, I mean, people describe it as having a baby. That what comes up it? a lot. Yeah. <laughs> How is the process uh, for you? I mean, I can't think of them in the same way at all, to be honest. Like, I think that for me, becoming a parent and giving birth was obviously a very bodily experience. I think writing a book is bodily and it should be probably more bodily, but it's also so heady. But it is, yeah, it's hard. There's just too many other people involved, I think, in deciding. Well, one could argue, I guess, that happens in birth, too. I was going to say in deciding like, <laughs> when and how your book comes out. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, there we go. So, yeah, maybe that is an apt metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You have three kids. This is a yes. good segue into yeah, making go. babies. You have three kids. Where in your travels did you meet your partner? I met my partner in college. So just before, actually, I had lived in China in college. I met him then. So we've been together for 20-something years. You've been on <laughs> together for a long time. Yes. Did it get serious quickly? Uh, as serious as a relationship can get in college, but he moved to China with me after college. So yeah, I guess it was pretty, serious. I mean, that seems serious. It's not like <laughs> yeah. going out for Chinese food, <laughs> right. but I mean, it is, but <laughs> <Yeah>. every day <laughs> on the extreme, uh, wow. Okay. And then in your relationship was 
starting a family, having kids, something you discussed? Yeah. On or? I think that I always knew that I wanted to have children. Early on, I had this dream of being sort of untethered. And, you know, I was living abroad a lot. So it was like, I just didn't really know where my life would take me. But I definitely knew I wanted to have children. Yes. It took us a while. I'd say we got married in our early 30s and then started to try to have children, you know, the old fashioned way. And that didn't work so well. So we actually tandemed an adoption process while we were also going through some fertility stuff and then ended up the adoption process. It's a much longer story than this podcast could handle, but did not work out. We had a child that we had accepted their file. It turned out that their medical needs were much beyond what we could really handle as a family and then got pregnant. So that was our path. A familiar story. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But still intense. Do you know what the struggle was on natural fertility wise? Um, I actually don't. When I was in Singapore, I ended up getting referred by a friend to a wonderful doctor there, Dr. Christine Yap. I actually don't even know if she's still practicing, but she just went in and I knew that one of my tubes was clogged. I don't know what the technical term for that is, but she went in and did a procedure where she actually like, not just the HSG, not just checking it, but actually went in and somehow kind of surgically cleared it a bit. And it still took six months and Clomid and an IUI to get there. So I don't know if it was just that, you know, it wasn't like, oh, after that, then suddenly I could get pregnant on our own. Hmm. But yeah, so I don't know. And in fact, then our second child was also the same process, Clomid IUI, and our third was none of it. So. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Our first pregnancy turned out was fertility. It turned out to be twins, but they were an early miscarriage Hmm. and then we went down the whole scale of fertility Hmm. treatments assisted reproductive technology and then gave up and then got pregnant Hmm. four times (laughs) these little creatures so i would love to learn more about your pregnancies and birth experience why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back sure Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
Welcome back. We're talking to Caitlin Salamini. Okay, so a long time to get pregnant. Did you do any of the natural things to try to boost fertility? Oh, gosh, of course. Lots of acupuncture, lots of herbs, lots of weird things brewing on my countertops. Ooh. Yoga, meditation. And I found that frustrating, honestly, because... You know, I think there were a lot of people that, oh, if you just relax, you know, and if you just, mm -hmm. if you just do this, if you, oh, have you tried that? And of course I had tried a lot of things. So I don't know. I don't know what it was that worked the third time we were in Hawaii for almost two months. It was towards the tail end of the pandemic, you know, <laughs> it was around those times. So I don't know. Did you do them with your third? Good question. I was doing a lot of yoga. I was in Hawaii. I felt so good. <laughs> I felt really healthy. Um, we were not actively trying to get pregnant. We knew that we'd never gotten pregnant on our own before. So we were just sort of like the door is ajar. And if it happens, that's a miracle. And it did. So now things are different now that <laughs> we're, we're definitely done having children. So we're like, oh, okay, this is what it's like to just get pregnant and have to think about that. Um, yeah. The different process. How was your first pregnancy? Wonderful. Yeah. That was one interesting intuitive feeling that I had. I felt like I would have trouble getting pregnant for some reason. I didn't surprise me, but I felt like my pregnancies and births would be really healthy. So you felt good during your pregnancies? Yeah. I mean, you know, the usual stuff, acid reflux, the gosh, what are those ligament, like the ligaments, oh, round like ligament. a lot of round like round ligament, ligament pain. pain, no sciatica, thankfully. And I was pretty active. I did a lot of yoga, a lot of all that like spinning babies stuff, you know. And yeah, the second pregnancy, I did have almost not placenta accreta. Um, Previa? Uh, yeah, it was like not fully covering the cervix, but very, very close. So they kept tracking it. And then over time, as it, it does moved. often, it, it moved. Uh -huh. So with the uh, first, did you have a vision or intentions for birth? How you wanted your birth to go? Also, where were you? I was in Singapore when I got pregnant, as I said, with Dr. Yap. And then we had moved to San Francisco and it was very in between. And in Singapore, I planned to birth my child at a hospital because that was just sort of what I knew. And I did find a doctor that had midwives in his practice and doulas, and it seemed really great. Then moving here, I looked online at hospitals and the closest hospital to me, honestly, just had, ugh, it looked awful. I was like, I don't want to give birth in a room like that. It just, ugh, it made me feel cringy. And I always feel like hospitals are wonderful places for emergencies. And I just didn't feel like my births were emergencies. And so I knew of a lot of people. My husband's mother had four birth center births and his mm. sisters had all had birth center births. My mother had hospital births without any interventions. I mean, she didn't have IVs. She didn't have monitors. They didn't do anything really. You went to a hospital and if you chose not to get any medication, I don't oh. know, she didn't have an IV. Yeah. So I ended up reaching out to birth centers. They were full because we were late. And then got referred to my midwife. And she said to me, quote, giving birth at a birth center is just giving birth at someone else's house. I was like, okay. So she's hmm. like, so you should just give birth at home if that's what you're comfortable with. So we did. And that was that. And then I was a home birther. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you prepare for it? Oh, gosh. Such a good question. I did a lot. 
And I tell people that, I mean, it's like preparing for a marathon. Like what does you as a person have to do to do that thing? So what does that mean? Whether it was therapy, yoga classes, partners yoga. Oh my gosh. Hypnobirthing with Rachel Yellen. I don't know if you know her work, but she was actually in person at the time in San Francisco. Now she lives in Asheville and she's all virtual, but that class was just everything to me. And it sounds like, I hate to say hypnobirthing because I think it sounds like something that people think, but when you actually are doing it, it's really very different from what it seems like. It's really just meditation. Yeah. Meditation around birth. Yeah, exactly meditation birthing yeah i mean it sounds like someone's like you will like holding like, oh, the you hypnosis know, like a hypnosis element. Yeah, yeah yeah it's self-hypnosis <laughs> right. which is meditation right right so, right okay i see what you're saying <laughs> I, it's funny that's true the first time i heard about it that was my vision too but right I've right been to so many hypnobirths um good distinction there okay i mean it sounds like you found those things helpful mm-hmm yeah, I did. I mean, I think for me, and I've had other friends say this, you do all of those things and then you're in the birth and most of it flies out the window, but like, there's one thing that just sticks and you have no idea which one it's going to be. You know, mm -hmm. like I had a friend who was like, I went to a yoga class and then I gave birth the next morning. And like this one thing the teacher said was just like with me and it was enough to just, that was it. But you sort of don't know in that moment, which thing you're going to pull from or at what moment in the birth, right? There'll be different parts that work and don't, that don't work. So I feel like you need that arsenal of tools. Like a well-stocked tool belt. Right, right. Okay, so you became a home birther. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and did you do all three at home? Yes, yeah. After that, I mean, it was sort of like, as long as everything was healthy and I had the midwifery support, you know, I was always tandem seeing OBs, more just so that if I had to transfer, I had a care team that I felt comfortable with. But yeah, it just seemed at that point, I'd done it once. Why not do it again? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, okay. And then let's talk about mothering. I mean, I think we focus a lot on birth, but then there's mm. this whole thing that happens afterwards for like the rest of your life. Well, and one could argue when you're pregnant, you are mothering. I mean, I felt, especially as I got larger and felt really vulnerable. I think that like vulnerability and that just like instinctual need to protect was there. I just remember walking in the world, very pregnant in a city and feeling like, oh, wow, I'm really not my own body right now. There's another body here too. And so, yeah, I feel like so much of the activism that I do now around birth and postpartum comes from the midwifery care that I received. And that directly influenced my mothering as well, because I had this amazing on-call collection of humans that were supportive, that were knowledgeable, that trusted me, even when I didn't trust myself. So it just empowered me in a way that I had never felt really in kind of anything before. So it's just like so transformational in that sense, because I just had care providers that actually cared. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. What a novel idea. Um, well, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Also, in America, the term healthcare seems like a misnomer. Mm -hmm. It's mostly mm -hmm. disease care. Exactly. You know, the system's a little interesting. I mean, I think every system probably has its ups and downs, pros and cons. But, you know, when you zoom out a little bit and see the bigger picture, there's a lot of room for improvement. Mm -hmm. uh, anything like your vision of, parenthood compared to how parenthood actually is uh, going 
Gosh, I don't know if I had a vision, to be honest. I think I was so obsessed and maybe this is why I wasn't getting pregnant. I was so obsessed with getting pregnant that like I didn't think much beyond that. I mean, I don't know. I had a nursery and a crib and all that stuff set up logistically that I never used. So there's that. I mean, just like this sense of like what it would be like to have a baby. But I do think, again, like the birth process and going into that feeling not only supported, but also like whatever happens is okay. And I truly felt that because I had the support that I knew was the appropriate team. So like I knew that if my midwife said you're transferring, you know, you are having a cesarean section or you're doing whatever it was, I knew that I trusted her opinion and the opinion of those like in my doula and really my partner as well, because we had done so much work. I felt just okay. And then because of that, I think parenthood was just this constant renegotiation of everything. Like, I still don't know that I know how to parent. Like, it's oh. just constantly in process. So I literally was just having that thought the other day. I'm like, well, like imposter syndrome. I'm like, I'm not out of these kids. Like, do they know? They do. They do. They're like, they're like, yeah, we know. I did go to school for this. I just stepped into the role. All right. I want to find out about the work that you're currently doing. Let's take one more break and we'll sure. be right back. Welcome back. We're talking to Caitlin Salamini. So first of all, you have all this work going on now that you're doing, and it seems to have taken, I think for a lot of us, once you start having kids, it kind of infuses into your work. So mm -hmm. tell me more about what you're doing now. That's a really good point. So I'm working on a novel that I've been working on for about five years that does look at midwifery childbirth. Uh, it's based in New England. It's I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'll ever finish it, to be honest. Like, I don't know. It's just this wacky project. It's literary fiction. Exactly. And then I am also, as you mentioned, I'm working on, I'm kind of always working on a bunch of different essays in and around home, home birth, parenting. And I have this podcast that started last year that was something I never thought I would do. I don't know about you, but I casually listen to podcasts. I was never like, I want to be a podcaster. I you have just such a great voice for it. Really? Oh, yeah. Interesting. I'd never thought about that. I just hear myself say like and you know a lot when I listen to the recorders. Oh, <laughs> like, oh. Oh. Well, now <laughs> you can have things. AI edit those out. Yeah, exactly. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, why do you sound so clean? <laughs> a lot of like podcasts. So yeah, I was six less. I don't know. I was a couple weeks postpartum and was just feeling like I actually had a lot of creative impulses. I was just sort of sitting around with the baby a lot. And I thought about other caregivers in that position in early parenting and how hard it is. And that also like how generative it can be like that. It isn't always just a sort of negative vacuum of creative space, but that it can have creative potential. And like you said, that it infuses into our work. And so I reached out to a few people and other friends who are in the writing world and in other creative spaces. And everyone got really excited about it, wanted to talk to me. At first, I thought it would be either like an anthology of work or something written. And then a former babysitter that I had spoken to said, that sounds like a podcast. She's young. So maybe that's why. And then I happened to see a friend from China, of all things, a friend that I had lived with in China in 1996, has a podcast. It's called Breathing Wind, and it's about grief. And she had a newsletter. 
and she was doing more production work. So I saw that and I said, Hey, this is sort of like in my head, like, could you help me with this? And she was like, yes. And she just sort of ran with it. And then it felt like once I put it out there, there was so much interest and there were so many like universe sort of things happening that just said, do this. So I did, which was probably poorly timed in terms of, you know, having a Life. newborn or a child. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, appropriately named. It's the postpartum production podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what's the format? Well, it started as interviews, as I said, with who I kind of consider practitioners. So like someone who is a caregiver and also has some kind of creative practice, whether that's filmmaking, music, dance, art, writing, etc. And then this season, we're actually looking a little bit more while well, we're extracting a bit and looking more at like an expert level view of postpartum, of creativity, of like all the topics that we looked at in the first season and then bringing that to the second season. And we will have some sprinklings of practitioners as well. And we're going to continue to do that. But I just sort of wanted to take a pause and examine things in a slightly different way. And we'll continue to do that moving forward as well. I have different seasons. Like I would love a season on birth and art for example. And there's so many other iterations of that that we could do. I love sprinklings, all sprinklings. <laughs> so I sometimes don't, this might be a horrible analogy, but that's what popped into my head. I don't love roller coasters. And I remember one time distinctly being in a theme park and my kids wanted me to go on a roller coaster and I would stop people who were coming off that roller coaster <laughs> and grill them for everything I could learn about what that experience was going to be like. Uh. And now I think that for many people, the foray into parenthood, whether it be fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, feeding a child, relationships as they change mm -hmm. when babies enter the world, is a bit of a roller coaster anticipation. Mm -hmm. And if we could possibly stop somebody who's been on that ride and ask, what did you learn from going through it that you perhaps couldn't have learned? previously, mm. I would say you might be a wealth of information. And then through your podcast and interviewing other people, even mm. a greater wealth of information. So if I really want to tap into that, we're going to have to go <laughs> listen to the postpartum production podcast. But could you, for the sake of this episode, share a few things that you learned that maybe you didn't know ahead of time or that you learned by going on that ride? Mm. The first thing that popped to mind was let go which is probably also a good roller coaster metaphor. So good um, for the roller coaster. First of all, right. there's no steering wheel and there's no brake pedal. Exactly. Although <laughs> I was thinking you want to make sure that roller coaster is like not super rickety and old and you know that it's the right roller coaster. <laughs> you know, you're at the theme park yes. that, you know, has good insurance. And, like they've done their way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just like set yourself up with what you need. And I say that again, coming from a place where I was able to do that for so many structural reasons in terms of privileges that shouldn't be privileges. Right. But I think that if you can, you know, look at the ways in which you can resource yourself, that's an important lesson for me is just continuing to do that and to seek resources that feel appropriate to you. And then letting go, of course, because at the end of the day, despite all of that, like we really have no control. We have no control over who our children are, who they become, what sort of challenges they have, what sort of challenges we have, 
And that's definitely easier said than done, obviously. Like that's not to say that I'm definitely not a person that's like, you know, let's go with the flow. In fact, my husband would say I'm probably the opposite. So it's funny that I'm even saying that. (laughs) Uh, Wait, so you don't just throw your hands in the air and go woo? (laughs) <laughs> on a roller coaster, I do, but, <laughs> but not life, on this roller coaster. life a little bit less. So I don't know. In birth, I kind of do. I know for some reason, birth to me feels generally okay. I was saying something to my husband recently, and now I've completely forgotten it. Oh, it was because I had to get like a mild surgery recently, and I was so anxious about it. And I said, yet yeah, with birth, I do have an anxiety, but it's kind of like a roller coaster anxiety where it's like I'm excited too. And I just, for some reason, feel like birth, I didn't have that same fear. Or if it was there, I just found, we, I don't know, it just was different. And I know that's not a normative American experience, especially, but yeah, I'm really grateful for that. I feel like you're not a normative American. No, I feel like that too, which is why, can I go with you on your trip? <laughs> i'm about to go to italy no we're trying to figure out how to become italian but that's like you know the whole naturalization of my great-grandparents and all that but that's another story oh so many more things than we can handle on one episode maybe there's a future for us to do more as we're winding down i know you mentioned birth activism what other things are you working on in birth activism or another yeah so I mean, I guess through the writing that I do, obviously, in the podcast, there's a form of activism there. I've been trying to support, I mean, you know, I have three little kids, so it's hard. There's an organization that I love called Birth Future Foundation, and they started up pretty recently, I feel like, during the pandemic. And it's a collection of a lot of midwives, doulas, and birth activists who are working to create more equitable access, especially for midwifery care. And they do amazing grant making to different, you know, whether it's like a birth center, a midwife around the country. And so they're doing really incredible work. So I've been trying to find ways to support them. And it's kind of uh, fascinating because I can't tell you how many times I hear from patients, yeah, I wanted to do a home birth, but it was too Mm -hmm. expensive. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait a second. I literally, with my patients, sometimes labor at a hotel across the street (gasps) from the hospital and expensive hotel. Mm grocery from a hospital and it is not even close to how expensive the hospital is for the same night stay right the service is so much nicer at the hotel Mm. and it's expensive compared to most things that i do in life but not like that hospital and Mm. then home birth there's no facility involved Mm -hmm. and practitioners are generally less expensive Mm -hmm. overall than the hospital staff and it's not covered. It's just mm-hmm. so, even from a straight business perspective, and insurance companies are always cutting costs wherever they mm-hmm. can. The fact that they won't cover that for so many people is really mind-boggling and a huge issue. So can you say the name of the organization again? Sure. Birth Future Foundation. Birth Future Foundation. Yep. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, they're great. And they're growing and they're doing a lot of really wonderful work. And there are a lot of organizations too, you know, I think at that intersection that are doing incredible work. Yeah. So I wish, of course, I could do more. I think that, you know, right now, given what's going on in the world, I'm also trying to get more locally involved in a lot in relating to gun violence, you know, gun control. So that's been another sort of more parenting related work that I think I've been doing. But you know, it's hard. It's hard to balance like being a present parent and doing work. And I think that's kind of what the system wants in some ways, like the system perpetuates because, you know, 
our caregiving is not supported and it's not compensated in the way that this capitalist system compensates us. So I just feel like for so many people, it's really hard to do the good work of really present and and I don't want to say involved, it's not about being involved, but I think it's just about, you know, showing up for your children and yourself in a way that's going to actually make a difference in the world. So that's my other struggle. It's just that like in an ideal world, I would do that. I would do that and it would feel valued mm. and I'd be able to get sort of like juicy intellectual support and it would just feel important and it doesn't feel important to me in this moment, in this world. Mm. Well, it feels important to me, everything you've done, making humans and all of the other work that you're doing to help other people around you. So I appreciate you. Yeah, thanks. I feel that way for everyone else that I know, but it feels Mm -hmm. like, you know, the system as a whole. Mm -hmm. So we need to figure out how to fix, well, not fix it. I think build an entirely new one, but. Caitlin, (laughs) (laughs) thank you for joining me on the podcast. Where can we find you online? Oh, goodness. So the podcast is at postpartumproduction.com. Also on, you know, Apple, Spotify, etc. My website's my name, which is caitlinsalamini.com. And my books are everywhere that books can be sold. Oh, Twitter, Instagram and all that stuff. Sure. That's at Let's Go Cato. Instagram is at Salamini Writer and also at Postpartum Production Podcast. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for joining thank us. Thank you so um, much. It was very interesting and I uh, learned a lot from talking to you. And I'm going to visit you over there on all those social spaces and keep following the great work that you're doing. Well, I love your podcast and I love listening. So I'm very honored to be a part of it now and will continue to support what you do and hope that we actually have an occasion to meet in person sometime. It's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. <laughs> to our audience, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find us online, visit us at informedpregnancy.com. <laughs>